0: If you have a Bible, I would ask you to open to the Gospel according to St. Matthew chapter 5. I'll be reading from verses 27 through 30. Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 through 30. This is Jesus speaking. He said, You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out, throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off, throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. So Lord, open our ears this morning to your word. God, make our heart, the soil of our heart, be good soil to receive what you have for us today. I pray the kids would have a great morning as well, being together, having a story, having a scavenger hunt. And I pray for the grace I need, like we just sang about, to to speak clearly, to communicate your word for all of us. I'm I'm first in line this morning too. In Jesus name. Amen. Well, let me just say a few housekeeping things uh before we dive into this text. First, uh, I want to just say on behalf of the pastor elders, I know I'm speaking for Rich and for Jim, um thank you for a couple Sundays ago the the very kind um words by some of the leaders up front and the prayers and the gifts um for pastor appreciation month. Uh, we we love you. We know you love us, and uh, thank you. It, it, again, we're humbled. We uh, we love shepherding and and overseeing and and eldering um, as those three words I'm using them there uh, as the Bible describes our our call. So we we thank you. We love it, and uh, we we feel blessed. We are encouraged. Secondly, I'm thankful for Roger, our own Roger Farrell, who two weeks ago tackled the text right before this on, on anger and, and murder. He did a great job, and uh, I was blessed by, by him. I know several of you talked to him and talked to me, and um, we're, we're grateful for that. And then finally, last week, um, we had a guest speaker, Philip Pattison. Um, if you weren't here, or if you were, um, it was a great message. He, he works with Foster the Bay, and he challenged us with this concept of having remarkable compassion. And specifically in the area of the incredible need that exists with with foster children and families. And and really the challenge for us, maybe as a church, to to be involved and to, to partner in various ways. So I hope and pray you're still wrestling with that, thinking about that. You can go to the website re-listen to his message his main points are there um i think there's a link to their ministry if you if you need help connecting and want to talk to me we'd love to, to help you make that uh, connection but again that was that was great okay those are my three housekeeping things um well today we return i return to sermon on the mount and as you heard me read a few moments ago the topic is adultery and lust and hell and gouging out eyes is it time for lunch yet No, not yet. Just a brief word of context. Uh, I, I debated, in fact, um, a couple of different times, even this morning, whether or not to, to go into the context or to just jump in. Uh, the context is important, though, so we understand what um, sets up, if you will, uh, Jesus saying these, these various things. So, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the very famous Sermon on the Mount. Um, we've we've looked we looked over actually several weeks at verses three to twelve uh, what are called in our Bibles typically the Beatitudes that that heading really it's all about kingdom norms the values of the kingdom and Jesus came preaching proclaiming the gospel which means good news of the kingdom of heaven it was at hand with his coming it's here not fully it'll be consummated one day when he returns bodily. Gloriously, uh, he will be the king on this earth. But until then, the kingdom is at hand. It's here. And he calls us who he saves by grace alone, like we just sang about, who, who have embraced him as Lord and Savior and to follow him and, and to have these norms that he, he lays out in those, those beatitudes. So that's where we spent the first, the first few weeks of this series. Then he goes into this call that, that this charge rather that we are salt and light. We we are to be this preserving ingredient in a world that's decaying. As we embrace these kingdom values and norms, as we as we go about sharing the gospel in word and in deed, we, we, we are salt in a decaying world. We are we are light in a dark world. And that's a big call. And and again, everything he calls us to, he empowers. And so those are amazing amazing analogies there that that represent us as sons and daughters of the kingdom, as kingdom citizens. And then, verses 17 to 20, the last time I preached, Jesus wants to make sure his listeners know these these things he's saying, this this message of the kingdom, it doesn't overturn the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament. Maybe some were wondering, does Does Jesus not go along with what, what the law and the prophets have to say? And he says, no, no, if quite at all. Our, that's not it at all. He said, not one smallest marking will be um, abolished. I've not come to abolish it, in fact, but to fulfill. It all points to me. Sally Lloyd Jones in the Jesus Storybook Bible summarizes it by saying, every story whispers his name. It all points to him. He's the fulfillment. Um, sometimes prophetically, sometimes in that he's the the the, the type and, and and ultimately, as one of my professors said, I, I quoted this a couple weeks ago, Jesus's gospel of the kingdom doesn't replace the Old Testament, but rather it fulfills It has Jesus' life and ministry, coupled with his interpretation, complete and clarify God's intent and meaning for the entire Old Testament. He has a very high view of Scripture. And if we're going to follow Jesus, we, we ought to have the same view of the Scriptures that Jesus had. Then, Roger, two weeks ago, started into this Uh, application, if you will. So Jesus said, I've not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And then he's got a bunch of examples where it all sort of starts with the same pattern. You've heard it said, and it is written, such and such. But I I say to you, probably because they had begun to uh, have their own traditions take the main meaning uh, away from what God intended. One writer puts it like this, in every case, as we saw with anger, as we'll see today, and as we'll continue to see, in every case, Jesus contrasts the people's misunderstanding of the law with the true direction in which the law points, according to Jesus' own authority as the law's fulfiller. And so Roger helped us think about murder, anger. Um, really, the, the root of murder is anger, and anger is murderous in principle. I mean, they go together. And that brings us now to today, Matthew five, twenty seven to 30. Speaking of this passage on adultery, lust, Tim Keller said a few years ago in a message, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount is telling us how he wants us to live in every area of our life. Well, love and sex is one of those areas of life. And so Jesus gets at that here. And when we first read it and hear it, it's very natural to hear this and to read this and to to have a negative response because it sounds like on the surface, Jesus is saying, if you have sexual desire, it's bad. You're going to hell. That's not what it says. That's uh, definitely not what Jesus intended. And so we want to go beneath the surface here this morning. And I hope three things as we look at this passage, um, even if it's brief, I hope that three things take place. Number one, I hope we see that there is... Good and godly sexuality. God made good and godly sexuality. It's It exists. Number two, there is an inner component to that. And then thirdly, it includes a fight. So good and godly sexuality exists. There's an inner component and it all includes a fight. So first, look with me at verse 27. Again, Jesus quotes here, or says rather, you have heard that it was said, and then he quotes Exodus chapter 20, verse 14, the seventh commandment. You shall not commit adultery. Now, because of the pandemic and everything, let's make sure we're clear. Jesus didn't say you shall not commit adulting. Right? Everyone's been joking for months about adulting and all the stuff we have to do. That's, that's not what it says. It's not adulting. We do have to adult When we are adults, he says, you shall not commit adultery. That's what the seventh commandment said. Now, honestly, the word adultery is not a word we hear a lot in our time. Even when it occurs more often, you'll hear things like uh, an affair. Someone's had an affair or, or someone's been unfaithful. And those definitely are components of the word. But adultery is strong. Adultery is strong because, put simply, adultery means having sexual relations between a married person with someone else that isn't your spouse. It's a big deal. It's it's a lot more than than an affair, it's a lot more than unfaithful, although it is those things. It's, again, kind of technically or, or defining it, sexual relations between a married person with someone that is not his or her spouse. God's word has a lot to say about it. Let me just read a few passages. Leviticus chapter 18 verse 20. You shall not lie sexually with your neighbor's wife and so make yourself unclean with her. Or Deuteronomy 22:22. 22, 22, if a man is found lying with the wife of another man, both of them shall die. The man who lay with the woman and the woman. So you shall purge the evil from Israel. Or in the Proverbs chapter 6, verse 32 he who commits adultery lacks sense, he who does it destroys himself. Into the New Testament, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of heaven? The kingdom of God. Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, there's our word, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Now, just to comment on that verse, those two verses, the Apostle Paul lists 10 things and he's not being exhausted. he, He didn't just like have from God the only ten things that will keep someone from heaven, okay? But He's given a list of things, uh, not exhaustive, but but a list of ten. Again, not the only things. We're going to come back to this passage at the end of the message because the next verse, eleven, it's hard not to go there now, <laughs> but we can wait for it. Uh, has something to say about the list and and what what has happened. We'll, we'll get there. Uh, Hebrews chapter thirteen verse four let marriage be held in honor among all and let the marriage bed be undefiled for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. There's that word again. So God's word has a lot to say about adultery, about sexual immorality. He takes it seriously. And so they, in Jesus' time, knew that they heard that they they knew no adultery they they knew that that was, was not permissible now before we move on to to how they misunderstood it and really this gets at that inner component thing and where jesus says i'd say to you i want you to remember before before we get there uh, let me come back to my my point I, that i said i want us to see today that good and godly sexuality exists okay god and the bible are not anti sex I mean, God created this thing, and it is it is good. And let me just remind you: some of you know these passages, but let me just remind you. In Genesis, in the opening of of the Bible, and in the opening of, of creation, what does God do? He brings Eve to Adam, and what does Adam do? He he bursts out into this song, this poem. He he sees his naked wife, he's naked, and he says, this is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. That they're naked, and they're in the presence of God. Like, I'm starting to blush a little bit having to say all this. And we've got some teenagers here. Some of the teenagers are my teenagers. They weren't teenagers. Last time I had to preach on this, and now they're, they are, and it's a bit blushy for me. And I'll admit that. But, but this is how the Bible starts. It's good. God made Adam and Eve. He brought Eve to Adam. And God was there. That's that's how the Bible starts. Jump ahead to the book of Proverbs. There's a passage where where a husband is to be ravished by his wife, and specifically by his wife's breasts. Like like that is in the Bible. For, For a husband and wife, it's there. There's no way around it. Then you get to the Song of Solomon, and I'll pretty much just leave it there to say there's a whole book that is about a husband and wife and their romantic, passionate love for one another. God loves sexuality. He made it. He created it. It's good. It's godly in the context of covenant. In in a relationship where two people have Covenanted a man and a woman together, saying, I'm yours, you're mine, the one flesh idea from Genesis, where a husband, a man shall leave his father and be united and joined to his wife, and they shall cling and cleave, some of that language some of you know, and they shall become one flesh. And that that is a statement of their their bodies coming together, but also their souls, they're they're being united in a one flesh covenant relationship within marriage as God intended it covenant sex and sexuality is good and godly and is to be rejoiced in see what happens typically and it happened then and why Jesus addresses it but it happens today is people tend to treat sex and sexuality uh, as consumers not, not not, in the context of Covenant, but, but as a consumer. I, I was thinking about this just the other day, right? We're, we're all dealing with pandemic restrictions, and that means, of course, restaurants are having to deal with that, and can they set up something outside for people to, to go to? And and we're thankful, I know I am, that, that many restaurants have figured it out. But here's the reality. I can still walk up, and if I see that, you know, this one restaurant has a little too much crowded tables and it looks kind of full. I I can be a good consumer and turn and go over to this restaurant. And and if I go to that restaurant and and if at one point they did cer- a certain thing, but now they they don't, then I can choose the next time to go somewhere else and consume some food from another restaurant. And probably you all kind of re- get my illustration. We we are good at consuming. Um and a lot of people treat God's good godly sexuality that way when it's outside of covenant what what can i get and when i don't get what i want when it when it stops satisfying me i i can leave it and go and and get from here and when that's what sexuality is it's not good it's not godly but in in the context of marriage covenant husband and wife together the god who from the beginning made them, it's good, it's godly, it's it's something that should be rejoiced in. Not consumed, but, but two people giving of themselves. And again, we'll, we'll come back to this in a moment. It is good. Sexuality is a good thing. And I believe that's here in, in Matthew 5. You have heard it said, and it does say, no adultery. That That's because... To, to treat God's good and godly sexuality in a consumer way, to take and to, to break the, the marriage bed, to, to pollute it. Um, if, again, as we kind of unpack, and I've just done it briefly, we, we see that, no, this is, this is a good and glorious thing. It's when it is, is used wrongly that it's not. And that leads, so number two then, to the inner component. Component. So, so many people in Jesus' day, they thought, okay, well, I've got the seventh commandment down. No adultery. I, I, can, I can treat you know, my body and control my body. But Jesus says, verse 28, now Matthew 5, I say to you, everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now, let me just say briefly, don't, don't let the his her stuff, like you think it's just a one direction kind of a thing, okay, um Jesus in that day spoke in such a way that that for the most part the men are the ones being addressed in in his talks and his sermons but but it very much could be um anyone who looks at a man with lustful intent has already committed adultery with him in her heart, okay, so again the the direction isn't one way, Jesus is saying just how murder isn't just an outward thing, it begins inside the heart, right? Not just emotions, but the heart, the sin- seat, the core of who we are, our, our thoughts, our feelings, our will. Just as, as anger is the, the start of what can become murder, so, so adultery isn't just about not violating the seventh commandment, it, it begins on the inside, so that if you have lustful intent, that's the ESV translation, you've, you've already committed that, that sin of adultery. Now let's talk about lustful intent for a minute. Uh, generally, when we say the word lust, it's negative. I mean, we just, like, we're just kind of wired. When you hear that, that L word, it's, it's a negative thing. But interestingly, in, in the original language, lustful intent simply is a word that speaks of strong desire. So for example, the Apostle Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, so if, if someone aspires to be an elder in the church, he desires. That's the same word. A noble task. Aren't you glad it doesn't say he lusts a noble task? Well, that would be weird. Okay, but it's the word desire. It's it's okay, same word used. Or in First Peter chapter one verse twelve, of of the angels, Peter writes that it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves. This is speaking of of the prophets and those who wrote before. Uh, it was revealed to them they were not serving themselves, but but you. That's like us that get to read this in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. And then here's a the phrase: things into which angels long to look. Long to look. Same word. The Angels have an intense desire to look into this. Good thing it doesn't say the angels lust into this. We would be tripped out if if the translation was lust. So you can see depending on the context in English we, we change the word but it's the same word. It means an intense longing, desire. What I found interesting in studying this week is that in, in Jesus' day, especially when they were all about the commandments, right? They, they, Jesus had just addressed the sixth commandment about murder, then now the seventh commandment, adultery. Um, it's actually the tenth commandment that gets at this. I mean, the tenth commandment says, You shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife. Covet, that, that's not a word we use, so we have to unpack that. Well, to, to covet is to want. So in the 10th commandment, even the law was dealing with the inside, dealing with the thoughts, the feelings, the stuff that kind of gets acted out upon. This is why the Apostle Paul, in Romans 7, when he speaks of this commandment, th- this is the word he uses, that the same word for, for lust. He, he says, what shall we say? That is the law sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would... Not have known sin, for I would not have known what it is to covet, that is desire, lust, same Greek word, had it not said in the 10th commandment, you shall not covet. Interesting. To covet is to desire, to want. Same word Jesus says here in, in Matthew 5. Just for fun, one more verse. In Luke 22, verse 15... Jesus, on the night before his arrest and trials and and ultimately his march to the cross, he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Earnestly desired. Same word. To have an intense desire. He longed for that. So all that just again to try to circle back. Lust. We, we immediately, we think negative. And, and again, that's the context. But just the word is about an intense desire, an intense desire. And so Jesus, though, is, is getting at that. You've heard it said, no adultery. You're right. It says that. But I want to say to you, I'm reminding you that everyone who looks at someone with lustful intent, in other words, you look at someone and you basically want to commit adultery. Well, then you are guilty of it. That's what he's getting at here with lustful intent. I knew someone who was a young married man and uh, we we were talking once and he said, he just was was struggling with, with expressing his words and with some guilt and shame and finally he was able to say, it's just that Every time I, I see a woman that's pretty, I, I, I feel like I violated this, this command. And as we, as we talked, I, I realized that wasn't true, and, and that was the struggle he was having. He, he couldn't differentiate, that's a pretty woman, versus lustful intent starting to fantasize and, and play out a whole scheme of thoughts deep within side about acting on that attraction. And the line might be blurry and, and, and I, I tried to just lovingly help this brother understand to, to see someone who's attractive is not to <laughs> go here. And I wanna just make that clear because some people I think sadly have a, have a hard hard harder struggle with this because of confusing that what Jesus is getting at is to want inside a strong desire for that that uh, consumer mindset of sexuality to 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 want to not only violate if you're married the vows you've made but to then take what's not yours and to again engage. In, in all kinds of thoughts, feelings, fantasy life, and so forth to to consume to want that that person you're thinking of to be for you again, like we consume food like we consume shows or we consume games or whatever it may be to to take god's good, godly sexuality and and to make it about consuming because remember as as I said kind of quickly god's intent is that Good and godly sexuality is in the context of covenant where both are for the other person, where the desire is for the other person and and meeting their needs and and never just about what can I get. But that's what adultery is. It's what can I get. When adultery is in the heart and mind, what can I get? How can I consume? How can I take? That's what Jesus is getting at and the law had it all set up anyway. Again, in the 10th commandment, it was there. Not to mention so many other places where God's word is clear that he desires purity of heart. That, that, that place in the beginning uh, because it all flows from the inside out anyway. So good and godly sexuality exists. There is an inner component that we have to acknowledge. But let me end for a few minutes by talking about the fight. Because it includes a fight and that's what Jesus gets at in the final two verses here verse 29 he says if your right eye causes you to sin tear it out throw it away it's better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell and if your right hand causes you to sin cut it off throw it away for it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell whoa what what in the world is jesus getting at here right Do we take him literally? Those of us that believe we're to take the Bible literally, what does that mean? Well, to take the Bible literally means we we understand hyperbole. We understand when when Jesus is making a point. And let me just say, if Jesus really intended us to gouge out our eye and cut off our hand, that, that may prevent external adultery, but does that deal with the lustful intent on the inside? So so I don't think Jesus literally meant that eyes be gouged out and that hands be cut off. I do think he literally means, take it seriously. Do what you need to do. Fight for purity. I hope to flesh that out here in just a moment. The eye is that member of our body, that Again, often, and it's in the Bible, we, we know it by experience, it's, it's what we see. And so again, yes, I think why Jesus mentions I is, that's what puts thoughts in. We, we see something and then we have thoughts. And what do we do at that point with, with our thoughts? Um, right hand, um, again, may be just a way of describing, you know, your hands do an act. Uh, there might be more to it as well. Um, again, Jesus is simply saying, we have to take radical steps when dealing with sin. We, we have to be about the mortification. Good good older Puritan word, the mortification of sin. Apostle Paul talks about this. There is a place, even like we sang a few moments ago, I will slay my sin. I will mortify it. I will fight it by grace. Not in the flesh, not in my own doing. But but by the, the grace that God supplies. But there is. I will I will fight. I will do what I need to do to deal with this. So what do we need to do to, to mortify the flesh, to, to take seriously Jesus' words? Well, let me just talk about a couple things outwardly. And these are just by way of example. There's so much more if, if, if you struggle with what you see, especially as it relates to a device, a computer, a tablet, get something like covenant eyes. Get, get some kind of filtering system. Um, ha- have some form of, you know, internet accountability. There are good things that exist that, that can help. Now, Again, I'm talking about outward things because we got to deal with the heart. If, we, if we're just modifying behavior that doesn't get to the heart. So hang on, I'll get there. But but do what you got to do. Um, if you want to talk about that stuff, I'd love to help you. I've got lots of that in my life and in our family, and, and I've recommended a lot of it. Um, if you're watching things, if you see things, if you're tempted to click and, and watch things that feed the lustful intent, the adultery of the heart, cancel those subscriptions. You you can go without Netflix or Prime Video or Hulu, or whatever. Cancel it. Um, have some accountability. Have some people in your life that know where you struggle and and where it's a battle, and have them ask you about that, and have them pray for you. The more you struggle in an area, the higher your standard has to be. So this is, this is a piece of advice I heard as a young college guy, and I've shared this with our men, at different men's events. And when I was a youth pastor, I talked about this a lot. So um, at, at college, I heard this this phrase, the, the more you struggle, the higher your standard has to be. And let, let me illustrate it from my own life, okay? I can remember being an 18-year-old um, in Southern California at Biola. And um, of course, up here where I grew up, we have the coast. Down in Southern California, there's the beach, and it's different. Okay. Um, many levels. And so it was fun to be at a place where you have the beach. And so um, guys would decide on Saturday, let's let's get our books and the skim boards, body boards, and let's go to Huntington Beach or let's go to Venice Beach and and boy, yes, to be out there and to see just flat sand and people and it was like actually warm to go in the water. It's a lot different from the coast. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Well, what I realized too, is that, um, as I was trying to sit there and read and and do some homework, there just was too many people going around and, and not wearing enough clothing. And it was just like, I can't do this. And so this principle here hit me. Now for some of my roommates, doormates, they they were fine. They could do what they needed to do. They could go jump in the water and swim and, and play football and, you know, the wet part and come back and do homework. I realized I can't do this. The the weaker I am, this is too distracting for me. I'm too tempted. If I'm not being clear with everything I'm seeing in Southern California beaches in September, the higher my standard has to be. And so I'm going to just stay in the dorm on Saturday or or go walk across the street to La Mirada Park and, and have some outdoor time somewhere else. So, so where is that for you? The weaker you are, the higher your standard has to be. And that's okay. That's part of mortifying the flesh, of, of doing what needs to be done, to gouge out the eye, to cut off the hand. Do what you need to do. Because Jesus is serious here. He, he he mentions hell. And we have a hard time. Really, Jesus? Well, yes, and, and we already heard from the Apostle Paul that that there are going to be some people who don't get to heaven, and, and it's because their lives are engaged in certain things. And one of those is adultery, sexual sin. Now, what about for Christians? Well, hold on, we'll get there. But but Jesus says it's better that you do what you need to do than that you just keep engaging in things and it, you end up in hell. Both literally, one day for those that that don't know Christ, but also. hell on earth. I don't know anyone who just decides one day, I think I'm going to commit adultery and just tube my life and the life of all these other people. No, but that's where again, the heart, it starts inside and little, little compromises, little steps inside and and engaging in things. And let me just say briefly, one of the reasons why pornography is such a, a vile thing. Not only, not only does it objectify, um, but but it's it's just you're, you're thinking about things and and looking at things and, and fantasizing in such a way that that no real person can match any of that, and and so it creates all these problems in marriages. It's addictive, and, and a lot of people struggle, and it's not just a man's struggle. And if that is your struggle. I, I would love to talk. I'd love to pray with you. I'd love to help you. We need to help one another deal with that. It's a real thing. It's a real thing. So those are some outward things we must do. Let me just say a word about the inward, though, because that's where Jesus goes. It's not just about curbing our behavior, about, about external behavior modification only. we, we got to do some inward work. Um. A big part of that, honestly, I think is is God's word going to God's self-revelation for us. We need to to know our Bible and know the God of our Bible. We need to know the God who said just a few verses earlier, Jesus, blessed are the pure in heart, they will see God. To delight in God is so much more glorious than to delight in God. These other things, that, that famous C.S. Lewis analogy where he says, we are, we are like little kids who are content in a mud puddle because they have no idea what a vacation at the, the coast the sea is like. And so when, when our fantasies are this wrong sexual type, lustful, adulterous, pornographic, and, and that's our pleasure, we have no idea what it is to behold God, but the pure in heart We'll see God. Or as Psalm 90, verse 14 says, this is one of my prayers every day. Satisfy us in the morning. So I make it personal. Satisfy me in the morning, right now, God, with your steadfast love, your covenant love, your your committed love, faithful love, the love that's never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. That's mine through Christ. Satisfy me with that so that I would rejoice and be glad today. If I'm fighting for that inwardly, praying that, that that gets my mind towards the Lord. Or Psalm 1611, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Yes, sinful things bring pleasure. If they didn't, we wouldn't do them. But it's not pleasure forevermore. It's not um, fullness of joy, but God's presence Is that, he promises that to us. Are we taking him at his word? Are we getting to know the God of the Bible like he says? Or like Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.22, So flee, Timothy, youthful passions, lusts, strong desires, and pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. In other words, don't just do it alone you need brothers and sisters in your life to join you on this you need the body so so get to know the bible and the god of the bible and and integrate that in your prayer life as well do the inward work get the help you need honestly if you need to to talk to some people and and read some things and and and, and get some therapy and th- those are real things i don't say that flippantly there's there's a place for all of that to to be sought and to used in this fight, this mortification of sin that that is very real. Because again, good and godly sexuality exists in the covenant of, of marriage. And it's a wonderful thing that husband and wives, Lord willing, have their life together to grow in. It exists. There's an inner component we got to fight for the purity there and do everything we need to do to be the men and women God calls us to be. So, yes, the Bible does say no adultery. But God has always said he's always been about purity of heart first, starting on the inside and having that transform us outwardly. Now, I mentioned I'd return to 1 Corinthians 6. So Paul had said, don't be, you know, deceived there's a bunch of things, and again, he's not exhaustive, but they're going to keep you from the kingdom of, he- of God. They're going to keep you from heaven if, if they're engaged in, and they're just who rem- reminiscent or, or rather uh, descriptive of who you are. But then 1 Corinthians 6.11, And such were some of you. What? Such were some of you, Paul says. But you were washed. You were sanctified you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So if God has come in and washed and cleansed us from our sin, if he's sanctified us, made us holy positionally in Christ, if he's come and justified us, that is, declared us right before God because of Christ, all of it in the name of the Lord, by the Spirit, in other words, If we're Christians, if we've been born again by grace and grace alone, then heaven is ours, even if we've engaged and done things, including those 10 things in that list. And now as a Christian, we're still tempted. There's still times of sin, but we know who we are. We know who has us And, and what an amazing piece of grace this verse is. Maybe that is true of some of us. Maybe those things describe our past but that's not our identity now. There's been a change. And God still is about forgiving. And Christians do sin and 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 hurt themselves and their families. And there's still forgiveness in Christ. And And brothers and sisters that do sin in these ways still need to be reminded of what God has done. And that there's forgiveness. There are consequences. More certain sins carry with it bigger consequences. If I drive 28 in a 25 zone, the officer can give me a ticket because that's three miles over. And if there's a school there, you know, an officer might do that and I might have to pay that ticket. If I'm going 55 in that 25 zone, oh, I'm going to get a ticket and the the consequence is going to be more. So there are consequences for the things we do, but there's still forgiveness. There's still grace. There's still the promise that we can be washed, we can be sanctified, we can be justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray then. Greg and Jay are going to come back and we're going to we're going to sing in response. God, this is a heavy word today. It's heavy because we know our thoughts. We know the stuff inside that Jesus addresses. You know it even better than we do. So we're aware of where we sin, where we have sinned. Um, this is heavy because your word is clear on your desire that your your sons and daughters be, be pure people. It's heavy because we, we do know of of the heartache these sins cause and have caused. But I praise you this morning that you have washed th- those of us that are your sons and daughters. You have sanctified us. You have justified us in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And there is forgiveness and there is restoration to you and to one another. And I, I rejoice in that. And I pray for any in our body here that are struggling, that they would, yes, do what they need to do outwardly, but, but deal inwardly with with these struggles. May they seek you, seek your word, seek one another and get the help that's necessary. Thank you, God, that you've not left us alone in these struggles and fights, nor any other, but, but you've given us the spirit to help us, to encourage us, to nudge us. And I thank you that your word, while heavy today, is, is such that it it teaches us, it reproves, it tells us where we're out of line, but it also corrects, helps us get on track so that we can be the minimum you've called us to. So help us, I pray, in Jesus' name.